You know, when I was living my Christian life on the single line, Greg, I thought sanctification and Christian growth just came through hard work and effort. And the answer to my problem was I wasn't trying hard enough. I would have been one of those people in the crowd thinking this is the moment when Jesus is going to finish talking about the Pharisee as the good example, and then turn to say, be more like that. But he doesn't. Welcome to the Gospel Addict Podcast. I'm your host, Greg Bryan. This is a podcast containing content of people whose lives are addicted to the gospel of Jesus. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news that the everlasting, ever-increasing joy of the never-boring, ever-satisfying Christ is ours freely and eternally by faith in the sin-forgiving death and the hope-giving resurrection of Jesus Christ. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you for listening to the Gospel Attic Podcast. I'm your host, Greg Bryan. We are back today with my good friend, Jim Reske, and my friend, Jordan Davis. Today, we're going to kind of take a little sidestep. We're going to deal with some potential objections to the content we've been sharing. Let's dive in. But first, I want to give a, a shout out to those of us. We, you know, we keep track of where people are listening. We have some new listeners, guys, that very small country called India. Mm. We have a, little, a, a presence in India right now. So a shout out to our Indian listeners. We're so glad to have you listening to us. Pray How many, that, Greg? How many? 100,000? Um, 200,000? 300,000? Hold on. Let me check. You were looking, telling us this morning. Seven. Seven. We have seven. That's awesome. Lucky, lucky listeners in India. So thank you so much for listening. Hey, Jim, welcome back to the show. Help us out. What's the first objection we're going to discuss tonight? Yeah, I guess a couple of things. One is, um, you know, we've gone gone through this uh, this, this illustration, this way of understanding the gospel, a really different paradigm for understanding the Christian life. And we talked about some of the S's that uh, summarize the gospel. And we're kind of rolling through those. And I thought, you know, we got to stop for a second because there's already people are going to say, wait, 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 I just, I don't get it. I, I'm not buying it. Doesn't sound right to me. And if we don't deal with a few of these objections now, I think we're just going to lose people. So I thought maybe in no particular order, we would go through some of the objections I've heard. But even before I do that, there was a thought from our last podcast that I, I when I went back and listened to it, something I really wanted to mention on that whole concept of substitution, because we spent a good time, amount of time talking about substitutionary atonement and what that means and why that's important. And how that is what really drives the engine of the Christian life, which is gratitude, right? So when you get the idea that Jesus took my place, that makes you incredibly grateful for the gospel. But I left something out. Do we have time to do it, Greg? Do you mind? I think it's a perfect time to do it. Yeah, go ahead. So Jordan, it's uh, this uh, verse is uh, from Romans, uh, Romans 3.26, I think. Do you have that handy? Um, I do. Uh, Romans 3.26 it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Yeah. And so this is just a, just a thought that rounds out that concept of substitution. He is just and the justifier. And the image I have for, for understanding that verse, it's like someone who is the judge, the judge on the bench, and you are standing before that judge and you are guilty and the trial is over and you've been declared guilty and you're not objecting to it. You're not saying, it's not true. It's not right. You're saying, you know, you're right. I am guilty. It's true. I did it. 
And you know what the penalty is for that. So whatever the, whatever the penalty is for your crime in the country you're listening to, it's life imprisonment. Some countries probably have capital punishment. Whatever that penalty is, you're sitting there saying, it's coming, it's coming to me. I know it. And to much to your surprise and your shock, the judge that you sat before for the trial steps down from the bench and says, I will take the punishment that you deserve. They're the one who's presiding over your trial. They're completely innocent, 100%. They're the one judging you, and yet they step down and take the punishment that you rightly deserve. When I hear that verse, Jordan, when you read it, when you say that he's both the just, he is just and the justifier. He is the judge, the righteous judge, the innocent judge, but yet he's the justifier. He steps down from the bench and says, I'll take your place. And we talked about that shovel story. That was what was so meaningful. And we talked about that when the guy steps out of line and says, I did it. I did it. I'll take their place. I'll die so, none, so my, my friends don't have to die. If you're, uh, if you're new to the podcast this week, go back and one episode back and such a, a story that's been really moving to me in my faith to help me understand the concept of substitution. But thanks, Greg, for the diversion. I just wanted to go back. I just wanted to say it last week and forgot to bring it up. Thanks for remembering and for sharing that, because that is uh, very important and very powerful to reflect on that. Let's dive into uh, some of the potential objections, Jim. Which one do we want to handle on this podcast? Let's start with pride, right? So um, let me tee this up, okay? I'll kind of frame this up. I think you know, the Bible talks about the greatest commandments, and Jesus, uh, we talks about that. But if you think about what are the greatest sins, people would say, a lot of people would say, well, pride is one of the greatest sins. I have a kind of a, a way I phrase this to so think about this. I don't know if this is a theologian would agree with this, but I would say there, I think there are two great sins of humankind. One is that A, nobody but nobody tells me what to do. I'm in control of my life. I call the shots. That keeps people from coming to God. And the other one is that I am not a bad person. I am not a bad person. And I just refuse to admit I'm a bad person. Both of those will keep you from the gospel, but they also keep you from understanding the gospel and really growing in your Christian life, right? Again, to, re- to review what we talked about a couple of podcasts ago, is this, this whole notion of, the, of a gospel-driven Christian life, gospel-driven transformation, gospel-driven growth is so different from the way all religions work and from what we were calling the single line paradigm. And not to review the whole thing, but the single line idea is that there's a, a basic graph or scale where holiness is the vertical axis or righteousness or goodness. And time is the horizontal axis. And it's a, just a diagonal 45 degree line. You become a better, better person over time. And that's the basic paradigm that a lot of people approach their religion to, a lot of Christians approach their Christianity with. And the thing is, you come back and say, but there's a different way of looking at it. And we talked about it before, so we won't review the whole thing again. But gospel driven, we say, look, you, you and your Christian life, the way you grow is you grow in your awareness of your sin. At the same time, you grow in your awareness of his holiness and you grow in awareness of what Jesus did to fill that gap between his holiness and your sinfulness. And you, the gospel doesn't start the Christian life. The gospel is the Christian life, right? You grow in that. And I say, you talk about that kind of gospel driven life to people. I, I, I found a lot of people just, their eyes go wide open. They say, that's it. That's it. That's the gospel. And their lives are changed. And other people say, I'm not, I'm not buying it. I am just, I'm, I, mean, I mean, Christians, talking to Christians. And they say, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. I try to understand why that is. Like we talked about last week, Greg, right? Like, why don't people take the offer of Christianity to begin with? And I think 
but this would you this deeper understanding of the gospel how the gospel dies christian life why doesn't why would someone not want that why would they say i i don't like those two lines i i, I like the way it is why would that be and i think it's because there are definite the people who are definitely feel like they are winning in that system we talked before i think it was three podcasts ago about in our christian life people will come by and i'll say how are you doing in the Christian life? Rate yourself on a scale of one to 10. And they're definite, you know, we, we both know people. There are people who say, I'm pretty consistently a nine. <laughs> you know, I think at times you and I were reflecting, sometimes I feel like a worm. I feel like I'm a two. Yeah, but there are definitely people who feel like I'm really, I'm an eight or a nine pretty consistently. I've been in those Bible studies where they're asking you to rate yourself like that. I always feel like my default is seven. Yeah, you know? that's right. Because... But inwardly, I know what my true number is, and it's way lower usually. Yeah. Grown to really dislike that kind of measurement because it basically, you're just comparing yourself with other human beings. And this is why you're saying that some people, they don't, they don't like this because they don't like the truth that you're sharing, which is since you called me a theologian the last time I was on. Mr. Theologian. Um, so as a theologian speaking here, what we're talking about really is called gospel-driven sanctification. That's right. That the gospel not only brings us to Christ, but it's the secret to growing us in Christ. Amen. We never move on from the gospel. We search the, the depths of the gospel for, the, for all of our, our life from beginning to end. And a lot of people don't get that because what happens is we come to faith, you know, we receive the gift of grace, of salvation, through Jesus, but then we kind of go back to our default setting in our hearts, which is, is performance and works. And, right. And that's a very much a pride based system. Right. Um, right. For example, last night I um, spoke to a group and I use the illustration of a ladder. Oh and yeah. I think this, I think this uh, ties in well with the, the one line illustration is religion is like a ladder in all the different world religions are different types of ladders, different sizes, different shapes, different heights. And they're all trying to do one thing, and that is to get you, get you to go up towards God, to get you closer to God. Mm -hmm. But the problem is, the problem with the ladder is, and I think this is what we're talking about in this episode, is you can actually feel like you're doing pretty good. That's right. <laughs> you, you, can actually, you can actually climb up that ladder and feel pretty good about yourself. See, you and I were sitting in these Bible studies thinking, I, know, I can tell people I'm a seven, but I know. And you, and you, actually, that's not bad. That's kind of healthy. That's As a Christian, we call that the conviction of the Holy Spirit, right? You should have more awareness of your sin. And actually, as we talk about this gospel of Christianity, part of the way you grow is a growing awareness of your sin. But that's really different. And what we, what we, what we talked about in that illustration is, you know, um, as you grow, there's a, a dotted line in that little drawing that talks about your changed life, but it's dotted for a reason. It's because you're not really focused on your performance. And you get to this where someone says, how are you doing? Rate yourself, schedule one. They're trying to get you to focus on your performance. And it's good that you, probably good that you're saying, I don't, I have this conviction that I'm not doing that well because it brings you to repentance. That's probably a healthy thing. But there are definitely people who say, I'll tell you how I'm doing. I'm a 9.5. I'm winning at this game, right? So clearly that's what the Pharisees were doing. And if you go back to the New Testament, there's so many examples of this. But back to your back to your latter example, because I think that's a, such a such a poignant example, Greg. Because you tell me it's more about how you how you finish out that story with with that crowd. The idea is that every religion is kind of like a ladder, 
And what they have in common is that they're everyone wants you're trying to go up the ladder. The problem, yeah. the problem is the ladder is way too small, infinitely too small. In your mind, and there's no ladder. Good, well, there's no ladder good and uh, tall enough to get us to to God to where That's we right. need to be. That's right. And so my kind of devotional thought last night was that what if God came down? That's exactly what Christmas is all about. The God of the universe left yeah. heaven and came down yeah. to us to rescue us, to redeem us, to save us. That's the truth of the gospel. But sometimes, again, we just like, okay, I received that for my salvation. Yeah. But then we go back to works driven sanctification right. Right. So, you, what you, are some what are some well, Bible? Wait, but on that, the latter thing is such a great illustration. Greg. I don't want to yeah. say that in a second. When you were talking about that, did you talk in your to you about Jacob's ladder? That story in the Old Testament. Did you mention that? I did not. I did. I, I kept it very simple. No, no. The point I want to make the, the, the Jacob's ladder thing um, because it, it, Keller preaches on that. Uh, sermon then jake you know jacob falls asleep in the old testament there's a story he falls asleep he has a vision of a ladder that goes up to heaven and that's where we get the phrase jacob's ladder and the angels are going up and down it and later in the new testament jesus interprets that story and he says you will see angels it's when nathaniel's called to be an apostle he says you'll see greater things than this you'll see angels ascending and descending on the son of man so he's kind of equating himself with the bridge between heaven and earth right great imagery but when Keller preaches on this, he illuminates that. He says, there's uh, a lot of people read that passage in the Old Testament and they interpret the Hebrew as saying he's sleeping there in the desert alone. And oh, and the, and the passage says he has a, a rock for a pillow, which means he has nothing at all. He's kind of like penniless, has nothing because if he had even a coat, he would wrap it up and pass it as a pillow under his head. So he's pitifully lying there in the desert sleeping, sees this ladder. And the Hebrew can be read to say the God of heaven actually walks down the ladder to him that God will comes down the ladder to him. So all the other religions saying you climb the ladder to me our the God of our religion, our faith says, I will come down and climb down the ladder to you. That's great. That's powerful. Yeah. Let's talk about this um, passage in Luke. You want to do that? Cause I think that illustrates yes. it pretty well. Luke chapter 18. Yeah. The Pharisees tax collector. Do you have it? I love it. Yeah. This is Luke chapter 18, verses 9 to 14. To some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evil, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, give a tenth of all I get. But this tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you the truth, that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. You know, I'm just thinking, Greg, if we have some listeners that aren't that familiar with the Bible as New Testament stories, just to, some background will make this kind of come alive. Because if you understand kind of the context and these two groups of people, it's just really an astonishing story that Jesus would actually tell this story. Because the Pharisees were the most righteous people at the time, right? So I think at the time Jesus lived, there were about 4 million Jews living in Palestine, or maybe, maybe globally. 
they're only about 6,000 Pharisees. So they were like the creme de la creme, the best of the best. And they were, they weren't priests. They were laymen. They were ordinary, what we would call them ordinary churchgoers, but they were super dedicated. They said, we hear you, God. We hear what you've been saying. You've been saying we have not kept your rules and your laws. We will do it. So they were super dedicated. They made up where there were no rules. They made up rules to follow them. So they felt like, you know, God has been telling us relentlessly, obey me, obey me, obey me. And we want to obey you, God. We want to do the right thing. So they were trying to climb up the ladder. And then generally they were the ones who felt like they were the nines and the 9.5s and they were very close, right? Um, the tax collectors in society were hated. If you don't know the history of the story, the Romans who occupied the land at the time used certain people among the uh, Jewish people to collect taxes from everybody else. And so all their Jewish family, friends, colleagues, countrymen hated them. They were considered to be the worst sinners. So Jesus is trying to set up a story by referring to two, uh, the most opposite ends of this moral spectrum that he could possibly think of. If we were telling a story today, we'd have different examples. We'd say, here's a really, the best possible person you can think of, the most morally righteous and the worst possible person you can think of. And the setup, he says, to some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down at everyone else, he told this parable. And the guy who's right, the, the Pharisee is saying things like, you know, I do these things, you know, I, I thank you that I'm not like these other people. I, I give a tenth of everything I have and I fast twice a week. And it's an interesting little note that there's actually no rule at all to fast twice a week in the Bible. He just made that up. So he's making up little rules for himself, little molehills that he could jump over. Like you said, he made up a, he made up a little step ladder for himself and climbed up and said, look, I'm two steps up. Look at me. And I fast twice a week. And he's bragging about it. If you have, if you were a listener to the story at the time and you had the single line view of religion, you would hear that you'd say, okay, Jesus, where are you going with this? Because this guy is pretty far up the ladder in anyone's ladder, right? I mean, he's, he's a pretty good person. What are you saying? And at the, I think halfway through the story, they would have, the people would have thought Jesus would turn around to them and say, so why can't the rest of you clowns be more like this Pharisee? I mean, he's, he's at least giving it the good college effort, the good college try. He's putting forth the effort. You know, when I was living my Christian life on the single line, Greg, I thought, sanctification and Christian growth just came through hard work and effort. And the answer to my problem is I wasn't trying hard enough. I would have been one of those people in the crowd thinking this is the moment when Jesus is going to finish talking about the Pharisee as the good example. And then turn to say, be more like that. But he doesn't. He holds up the person at the other end of the spectrum. Who's, who's not even praying. Well, all he's saying is God have mercy on me. sinner, just beating his chest. And Jesus says, that's the one who's justified. And why? Because that's the one, well, in our little illustration, he was on the diagonal downward line. He, has a, he had a growing awareness of his own sin and just more in touch with the reality of how sinful he was. And the Pharisee was out of touch with reality of how sinful he was, right? Yeah. So one of the things that I think that, and is it true that like we all struggle with this? Yeah. At oh, times, yeah. at oh, times yeah. we are, I mean, pride is one of those daily battles that I think every human being struggles with to, to a certain extent. And when we part of, part of the, the objection is it's not fair. Mm, what do you mean? Well, it's not fair that this guy who the tax collector gets um, ah. justified before God, That's when right. he, he's not even doing oh. anything close to what I'm doing. So, <laughs> yeah. so how, how do you, how do you deal with that? 
Greg, I got a, a great story for that. Um, maybe as a good friend of mine, he'll recognize this story as soon as I tell it. So I'll, I'll, I'll maybe I'll tell him it's coming. But we were uh, talking one night uh, he, and he's just a great friend. We had these great kind of really esoteric, weird conversations late at night. It's just, it's so fun. Um, and I've uh, known each other for a long time. And one night he said, he's a Christian, a really great believer. And he said, um, you won't believe it. I said, what? He said, Steve McQueen became a Christian like right before he died. Now for anyone of the listeners, especially very internationalists, Steve McQueen was the, the coolest of the cool actors, I think in the sixties and early seventies. Okay. And he was a race car driver and an actor. He was, they still sell clothing with Steve McQueen as an image because he's so cool um, that his image still sells products uh, because he's just the height of cool. And, uh, and so my friend told me that and I said, that's great. That's, that's such great news. We'll get to hang out with Steve McQueen in heaven for eternity. I can't believe it. I'm, I was really happy. He said, no, no, that's not the point. That's not the, not the point at all. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, he, that guy lived his whole life, wine, women, and song. I've kept my nose clean my whole life. I haven't done that stuff. And he just waltzes in at the end. That's it too easy it's too easy and 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 so and look he's a dear friend a dear believer so we had a really but we had a really it it opened up a really engaging conversation right because we had to say well why do we think we're in right what is it why do we think that we're saved or justified because we've kept our noses clean you know you're talking in the last podcast you said you never got drunk or took drugs you don't have that kind of life background you know me neither right is that why God loves us? Because we've been really good people, you know? And like, no, no, we, we're, where we need to place ourselves in this story is the tax collector, right? That, that awareness of sin to say, God have mercy on me, a sinner, right? I am no better than a, a Steve McQueen actor. I'm, I'm nowhere close to as cool as Steve McQueen. <laughs> but I mean, you know, the, the idea that you sit there and say, how can that guy get in? When here I've been good all the time. If the minute I start thinking that way, and, and this is the sin of pride you're talking about, then I'm starting to slip myself up the scale, up the ladder again. I'm starting to say, well, I'm not really a zero. I don't really, I mean, I'm I uh, you know, I'm somewhere on the ladder. And this is what people do. If say even the people that are the Pharisees thought they were 9.5s, maybe you 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 know, you the Bible are saying you're a seven, you know, on a scale of one to ten. Say you say that you're seven, you're an, you know, uh, or you're an eight, and what you're saying is, I've gotten most of the way there on my own in this Christian life. I just need Jesus for that last three. I need Jesus for that last four. I need Jesus to fill that gap. And the more righteous you feel like you are, the higher up the scale you feel like you are, the less grateful you are because you think he just, I'm an eight, all he did is fill up the two. I'm a nine, he all he did is fill up the one. But I got nine tenths of the way there on my own, and you're just not that grateful. Right. Boy, that's the boy. That is so true. Um, and I think a lot of people can relate to what you're sharing. So how do you, uh, how do you, um, solve this objection? I mean, when somebody is doing well, climbing the ladder yeah. or going up the, 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 the single line, how, how know, do you, how do you get through to them? It, it's, it's look, when we, when we talk about non-Christians, we say part of the reason, you, part of the, what has to happen 
for conversion to happen is they have to be, they have to be somewhere, somehow aware of sin and that you need for salvation. What we're talking about now is Christians who feel like they're winning on the single line system and don't want to make the shift to the two line system. They feel like they're winning on the kind of a works righteousness system and don't want gospel driven change because they don't want to admit them a sinner. And I think, you know, I, convincing people of their sin is a tricky business and most times best left to the Holy Spirit. And a lot of times, I don't know, Greg, you, you've got more experience in winning souls to Christ than I do and talking to people and discipling people than I do. I found that a lot of times I just share my own brokenness with people and I kind of try to be genuine and real and talk about my struggles um, that people get there and say, yeah, you know, that's I do too. And then the Holy Spirit can come in because it's really this kind of spiritual change we're talking about. It's not like there's some magic formula or one, two, three step. It's these are, this is a spiritual endeavor. These are spiritual changes we're talking about in your soul. Right. And, 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 the, and God's got to do it. And, um, but I, I think that with the one thing Jesus is trying to get across to people, if you look at these passages is sometimes it's a sudden shift. It's not just a gradual thing. It's jumping off your ladder and stop. You're not longer trusting yourself and you put your trust in him. Right. And you, sometimes it, Sometimes it's a sudden paradigm shift. Actually, that's what I'm hoping with this book. You say, let's let's draw it out. And if you see it drawn out, hopefully say, yeah, I'm living life in a single line. And suddenly the penny can drop and it makes sense. And I want gospel-driven change and not, you know, the, the single line change through my own hard work and effort. Uh, I think uh, your wisdom there is, is right on. Uh, um, you reminded me of a story, though. When I was in college, I remember this this. Uh, this one, uh, one guy in the same ministry I was involved with, and he, he used to be so proud of the car he drove and, and he would, he would brag about the car that he drove, um, to anyone who would listen to him. Mm -hmm. And the reason he, he bragged about it is because he drove a Chevette. I, <laughs> that was my second car. I had a Chevette. He, he drove a Chevette. I don't recall and, and, bragging about it ever. Once, well, he though. was bragging because he was taking pride in his humility. Mm. He was, he was, ah. he, he was, it was a, a classic case of spiritual pride, which I think is again, what Christians fall into sure. is this kind of spiritual pride. And so he would, he would just love to boast about his humility that he yeah. drove a Chevette. Yeah. Yeah. That's like, yeah, boy, I can, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Well, look, I'm, you could let's uh, let's make it even a, a more of a perverse thing or weird thing. Let's say you start to understand the gospel. Let's say the gospel, you, you make this paradigm shift. You get off a single line to the double line. You start saying, I, that's it. He's, he's, it, that's how, that's how Christianity really works. Right. I'm a lost sinner. I'm saved by grace. And then suddenly you say, oh, the, I can't believe all those Christians on the single line. They don't get it like I do. They're not as insightful as I am. That is, you know, uh, and you start getting spiritual pride over the gospel itself, which is the weirdest thing ever, right? Because but the that's gospel, how pride pride is so. Oh yeah, it's it's in our DNA, right? Insidious, you know, right? it just weaves its way in. It's almost um, impossible, impossible to cure without Jesus. Right. And maybe impossible to cure in this life. Yeah. Something we will struggle with day in and day out, you know, and yeah. we, that's why we need to depend on the Holy Spirit. And well, that's guidance. why. Yeah. But I think, but you and I both know real spiritual giants in our lives. Right. And 
I, they would be the first to say, I have not conquered pride. I'm still struggling with it, but they're just people that aren't focused on themselves. They've got that gift of self-forgetfulness, right? Where they're just focused on Jesus, right? And they're not thinking I'm a worm, I'm terrible. That's still self-focus, right? They're just thinking, they're just thinking about themselves less. They're thinking about Jesus all the time. That's true. You know, one of the most godly men I've ever met is Jerry Bridges. And oh, yeah. He's with the Lord now. Mm-hmm. And um, I had the privilege to getting to know him, having several private dinners with him and just being his friend. He stayed at my home. Wow. And one of the things I learned about him is this very parable that we've been talking about, the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke 18. There was a, it was a daily part of his prayer is part of his quiet time his time with the Lord. He daily reflected on this passage and he intentionally would put himself in the tax collector's shoes. Wow. wow. And I think that's how he held pride at bay in his life. And that's always stuck with me uh, for a couple of reasons. One is, you know, that, that he daily, he daily, um, you know, he was known to, he would, he, he was known kind of for the phrase of preach the gospel to yourselves every day mm-hmm. that we need to preach, you know, believers need to preach the gospel to themselves every day. And this was part of how he preached the gospel to himself was, was um, this parable had such a deep impact on his life that he would daily reflect on it. And that's, that's stuck with me. I've never forgotten it. And perhaps that's part of, um, you know, if Christians who maybe are on the single line, if they would just start reflecting and meditating on this passage, yeah. um, maybe, maybe they would um, make the shift, make the shift, you know, the Holy right. Spirit could, could work. And so um, let's, yeah. let's bring this to uh, yep. a close for this first objection. Is there anything else you want to say related to the objection or how um, people can make the shift? Uh, no, I, I just want to add one thing, because I'm not sure you're, you're, you're our listening audience. Uh, they might not know the name Jerry Bridges, but to hear that story about that guy, I mean, the, if, for those of you who don't know, he was a, he's a incredible uh, person and a, a Christian author. So you can find his books. I think they're available, available online. They're still in print. Uh, but I was reading his work when I was in high school and, uh, and I saw him speak once um just such an incredible godly person for him to be what an example um for him to be praying this prayer every day um you know but the tax collector stood at a distance he would not even look up to heaven but beat his breast and said god have mercy on me a sinner these are great words for us all okay well we'll end our episode here Thanks again for listening to the Gospel Attic Podcast. Join us next time. We're going to deal with another objection, and then we're going to go back to the five S's. Thanks, Jim. We'll be back soon. Thanks, Craig.